get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And it is caught for a touchdown by A.D. Mitchell. Throws to the near side, intercepted at the 21-yard line. And Keely Ringo bringing it back across midfield, across the 30, inside the 20. Ringo scores! Georgia has won the national championship. First time they've ever won 14 in a game, and they win the national title for the second time. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That game went exactly as Tanner Hendrickson and myself expected it Whoa. to go. Unfortunately, Alex was on the other side of things. What are we talking about? I took the Georgia line. I covered, boys. 3-0. and and then You didn't Friday. mean to. It was yeah, an accident. I did. No, I meant to. Or yesterday, I mean. He goes, uh, you did have, I really go Georgia? You have zero proof that I said that on this ah, show. We can check the tape if nope, we need to. Nope, That's there's fine. no tape anymore. So Georgia wins its first national title in more than 40 years last night. Alex, that felt like a passing of the torch to me. And I don't want to do the overreaction Monday type of thing here. But well, it's Tuesday. I, I was saying this so in the middle of the season. <laughs> I think Georgia has now established itself as the best team in the country. And I'm not just talking about a one-off like what we saw with LSU. This is different. What you're watching right now is the most talented team in the country also being one of the best coach teams in the country. I put this out on Twitter last night, Alex. Here's the recruiting rankings for Georgia going into this season. In 2018, they had the best recruiting class in the country. Then they followed that up with the best recruiting class in the country the next two years. And this past season, they were fifth. And next year, they're currently second with the expectation they could easily bump up to first. So Kirby's slowing down. Got it. Yeah. Kirby's- Kirby Smart is operating at an even higher level when it comes to recruiting than Bama ever did. Now he hit his peak. This is a death star in motion that we are watching right now. Georgia is operating at full force. Their biggest issue was Stetson Bennett, and even he played pretty darn well down the stretch last night. That was one hell of a performance by the Georgia Bulldogs. It was, and if I can issue a public apology in front of all of you now to Stetson Bennett, the fourth and his entire family, you know, Stetson Bennett, the third, the second, the first, uh, because I may or may not have used some names that I shouldn't say on the air towards him because he looked awful 
And then all of a sudden, like, I was impressed by the fact of how he rebounded off of that fumble, which probably shouldn't have been a fumble the more I watched it. I, I could have seen it go either way. I, I mean, in real time, I'm like, what are they even calling? And I was more impressed by the guy who recovered that fumble. That was one of the coolest looking fumble yes. recovers you'll ever it see. It was the most nonchalant fumble <laughs> ever, but that is here nor there. But I, I I didn't think that was going to happen. I was impressed by the defense. And that goes to the point that you're talking about of the recruiting of Kirby Smart because he's a defensive minded head coach. And that defense won that football game. But, I'm not sure I've ever seen a faster defense than what we saw last night. That might be the best defense faster, I've ever seen a more heavy hitting defense either. I, I mean, I was texting you like Jordan Davis. That man should not be a football player. <laughs> he should be a pro wrestler. He's a monster, but the ability to stuff that out, like how often do you see a Nick Saban offense stuffed at the goal line as many times as they were? What was it? It was two red zone chances in the first half and both were field goals. They didn't score a touchdown in the red zone all night. If I'm not mistaken, right? I or did they score one so. late? Uh, well, they scored that one. That was in the red zone, wasn't it? Yes, the yeah, touchdown yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to the, the tight, tight end. end. Yep. But here nor there, I, I was just overly impressed by what Kirby Smart has done with that. But to your point, BK, I don't know if that's the passing of the torch. Because I still, it, it is still, and this is why I questioned it yesterday, it is still so hard for me to bet against Nick Saban. And this was a year that it felt like you were kind of transitioning the competitive rebuild we all talk about. Mm-hmm where you were going from what you had in Mac Jones and all of these elite players to some of these younger guys. Bryce Young's going to be back. Bryce Young didn't look great, but I would... I thought he was awesome last night. I thought he really struggled late, I but just, I think that I, was on everybody. I felt like he was directing everything, but at the end of the day with this one, it's so hard for me to say this is done for Nick Saban because you know he's going to be back next year just like he always is. Yeah, and the thing for me is Bryce Young. That's the whole reason. I he, I don't care what the, he does on defense or whatever else happens with Alabama recruiting-wise. Bryce Young is a legitimate Heisman guy to watch next year again, and he's going to be a reason Alabama is going to be a competitor next year because even at college football level, quarterback is where it's decided at in the game. And then you can get all the other elite players around him, and Alabama will do so. I kind of see where BK's coming, though, from the passing of the torch because Georgia's been there for the last couple of years. I mean, we're dating back four years, and they were in the national championship and lost and should have won that game. So Georgia's here. I think they can sustain it better than, maybe not better than Alabama, but better than Clemson. Clemson's really fallen off the table fairly quickly. Clemson now, I'm not was saying quarterback they're done dependent. Yet. That's, yeah. that's, that's the difference. Clemson mm-hmm. was dependent upon two transcendent Lawrence. college quarterbacks that were able to carry them into the postseason. Yes. Those guys leave Uyunglele, who we all had, well, Tanner, you and I had high hopes for going oh, whoa, into the I season. I said he was overrated. Okay. I had I, high I thought hopes he was for going into the season. That was a good one. That high was five. a good one, wasn't it? It, it didn't work <laughs> for him this year. It just It just wasn't the same. Bryce Young's a stud, and that's why I do wonder, is is Alabama in some ways going into the Clemson path of like, they're going to be there at the end. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that Bama's done and they're never going to make it to another college football playoff. They absolutely will be right there at the end next year. But Georgia's the opposite. Georgia is now what Bama was in that their team as a whole, the roster number, player number one to number 85 is better than everybody else's. And that includes at the quarterback position where right now, if you switched the quarterbacks last night, put Bryce Young on Georgia and Stetson Bennett on Alabama, that is no contest. Georgia wins going away. Like that thing might've been 42 to 10. It might've been even worse than it was. It might've not been as close in the fourth quarter as it appeared to be based on the score. That's the only thing that is the weakness right now for Georgia. And I felt that way, what, seven years ago now? 
for Alabama before they got into having these legitimate first round talents at the quarterback position when we were talking about AJ McCarron and some of the other guys that they had walking around back there that never really had future NFL starting careers. That's where Georgia's at now. And if they're able to, I believe they will get some of these top end quarterbacks. Oh, buddy, watch out, man. This thing is going to be operating. I don't, not at the same level as Bama. I'm not sure we're ever going to see dominance like that for a 15 year stretch. But for the next five, seven years, could we say something approaching that? Yeah, I, I think we absolutely could. That's where Georgia's program is at right now with Kirby Smart. If you were to lay down money right now over the next five years that Georgia wins more championships than Alabama, would you put the money down that Georgia wins more than Alabama over the next five years? 100%. Absolutely. Man. I would take Georgia versus the field. I think Georgia will have more championships over the next five years than the rest of college football combined. See, I, I, I just, I feel like Alabama could win it next year. I feel like Alabama could be they in could. the same position and they could outplay Kirby Smart and Georgia next year. And then we're talking about the same thing again of, oh man, here's Saban once again. They, they absolutely could, but I'll, I'll take Georgia. Like I, I look at what they've done recruiting wise, and I know that some people will push back on this, man, the recruiting stuff matters. It, it's why Georgia is where they're at right now. It's why Texas A&M people are going to be in on them next year because they right now have the number one recruiting class and they're operating at a Attaboy, really Jimbo. high level with Jimbo in charge from 2018 to 2022. They have had 23, five stars. Georgia has commit to them. They've had 72 four-star players commit. That is 95 players that are four or five-star recruits that have committed to Georgia over the last five seasons. Alex, you only get 85 scholarships. Their entire team is blue-chip talents. Mizzou, we're all excited about what they're doing with yeah, their recruiting Mizzou's probably right, right below them, aren't they? They have yeah, like yeah. seven this year. Uh, all right, seven. halfway there. Illinois is right below Mizzou at about zero. <laughs> Over Minus the last seven. five years, uh. the worst recruiting class for Georgia had 16. Like, that's hey, the difference. That's almost Mizzou. That's the difference between what we're talking about between a top 10 recruiting class with what Mizzou has right now and what you're seeing at, at Georgia. It's just, it's on a completely different level recruiting-wise. And the talent that they're putting together now, man, it's it's absurd. I'll tell you this, it was a fun team to watch last night. Like, Absolutely. I can't remember the last time I've sat there and watched a college football championship when it's 9-6 and thinking this game is incredible. Because usually those games are boring as hell. And I thought we were going to see a repeat of the SEC championship after the first drive because Bama was just moving up the, yeah. up the field. And it was fairly easy. I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go again. Georgia's going to struggle. And the defense settled down. Credit to them. 65780 is your comfort service text line. I figured we'd get some of this. From the 618, so Bama and Clemson are done. You guys overreact so easily. First of all, those two are distancing themselves from me. They are not saying anything of the sort. Another one from the 636, I cannot believe BK is writing Bama's obituary after losing one national championship. Dude, do you want to do a eulogy? Can you get boys to men end of the road? Guys, let BK do it. I'm not doing that. Although we come. What I'm saying is that Georgia is now the program in college football. There's a difference. Hold on a second. Oh, I was singing it for you. There's a difference between what we're watching with Georgia and what everybody else is doing, just as there was between what Alabama was doing and everybody else at a time. Georgia has now taken that top spot. They are. They were coming for the number one spot, and now they've, they've achieved it. Now that they've finally got over the hump of winning their first national title in 41 years. That's the difference. 
Alabama is still a top five program. So is Clemson. So is Texas A&M might be able to get up there. Ohio State's up there. We'll see what Lincoln Riley is able to do at USC. All those other teams, they battle for two through five in any given year. Georgia's number one. That's what's changed. That's what last night meant. Georgia overtook the spot that Alabama held for nearly 15 years. Even when Alabama didn't win a national title, you went into the next year expecting him to. That's how I now feel about Georgia. That That's the difference to me. One other thing that I wanted to get to, guys. The college football playoff. Do we still want to expand? Because we have now seen 12 of the 16 semifinal games decided by at least 17 points. Felt like we all kind of knew everything was leading to Georgia versus Alabama in the end of this year. And it kind of feels that way most seasons. Do you still feel the same vigor to expand the playoffs as you Should did? I dump that? Or? No, he needs to define it for us. A few years ago. Um, I, I still am interested in the expansion of the playoffs. I, I mean, look, to me, you know, it's like it's like March Madness, what we're expecting this year. Like, you could bring all of these teams in, but you're looking at Gonzaga and you're looking at Baylor and you're thinking, okay, these are the teams that are going to probably win a championship. You look at if you an expanded playoff format in college football, you know it's going to be Georgia or Alabama. But I still want the chaos. I still want the the havoc of a expanded postseason to see what could happen in rounds one, two, and three to get to the championship. Even if it still is Georgia and Alabama, I want the excitement that leads up to that. So, yeah, I'm still all for an expanded playoffs because I think it would be more exciting than watching 60-something bowl games that we have no idea who's even playing in. <laughs> That's kind of where I am, too, is it to me, it's if it gets rid of some of these bowl games that don't mean anything, then I'm all for college football playoff expansion. I don't know if I would go to 12. I think you make the baby step and go to six. But I want to see a non-power five get its due if there's a team. I want them to have a legitimate shot. We all talked about it. Cincinnati got in this year. That was because everything broke their way. They should have gotten in. And if there was an 18 playoff, they should have gotten in without having any of the question marks and having to have all these other scenarios that play out. I want to see non-power fives get their shot. And then I I honestly believe, and I could be wrong in this, I think expanding the playoffs will kind of, I don't want to say dilute recruiting for some of these big powerhouses, but I think it will kind of even out the field just a little bit more. Because I, the more you start getting into a college football playoff championship, the better you can sell it to a team. Like, like you talk about the Pac-12, for example. The Pac-12 has not been very good the last couple of years. You put a, a Pac-12 winner in, they can start selling it to recruits. Hey, we got to the college football playoff championship. You can be that guy that helps yeah, us. I think it just, I think it helps with competitive balance as well. I think we're going to get the same results, but I think it'll be more fun along the process. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got those second round matchups that are a little more intriguing than what we're watching right now, I do think that's good for the sport. I think it's bad right now that every year we're watching the same teams in the national championship. Like last night was great. The game itself is interesting. There was zero buzz, zero buzz leading into yesterday's game. And I I feel like, I don't know if you guys would agree with this assessment. I was kind of at a loss for storylines going into it, other than this is going to be a really fun and exciting matchup. Like the football itself was really interesting. The overarching storylines, man, we've seen whether it be Georgia, Alabama, or replace one of those two, two teams with somebody else what five times over the last seven years yeah so it's kind of feeling like it's the same thing over and over in the title game so at least if you do expand it i think eight's the right number personally for me if you are able to expand it you do get some fresh storylines that emerge into the college football playoff the other thing they're gonna have to do though they will have to change the calendar a little bit i think one issue that they ran into this year is that they played the college football playoff on the same day that nfl coaches were fired 
And it, it just, you got lost in the shuffle a little bit. There was not as much buzz because of that. So you're going to have to push things up to be able to to capture the full audience that you're hoping for. And the other thing for me, too, and I know some people will say, well, it deludes the regular season. I don't think it, del- it will some of those top power matchups when you already know they're in the playoff. But I think it adds more intrigue to some of those lower games like a, uh, I think it was Michigan State, Ohio State maybe, or Michigan, Ohio State when they play, there's a little bit more intrigue because, okay, the loser is now going to be lower and has to face Bama in the first round rather than having to wait. And the other thing for me in the regular season, it shortens it probably a week would be my guess. And you can get rid of some of those gimme games like Alabama taking on an FCS school. They don't have to schedule those anymore. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we're talking to our guy Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. You can find him on Twitter at Danny Mac TV. Want to talk to him about what he expects from the middle infield for the Cardinals this upcoming season? I was reading from Derek Gould in his chat yesterday. He said something interesting about Nolan Gorman and where he could start the season. So we'll talk to Danny Mack about that in about 15 minutes. It's 11:17. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, though. It's happening again. The Blues are once again going to have to overcome the loss of a significant piece on the COVID list. How do they do so? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think we're an entirely different team when Colton Preco is even a shadow of himself, whether it be injury that we saw last year or there was probably a two-week period this year where he just looked a little out of gas. And then there's been a two-week period that he has been, uh, honestly, he's been a beast on skates. And when he's like that um, and he, you know, he's challenging the other team's best players, he's defending like that with that long stick and stripping pucks, I, I think the Blues... Just, I think that's when the Blues are playing Blues hockey when he's going that way. That was Darren Pang a couple of weeks ago when asked about who he believes the most indispensable player is for the Blues. He said Colton Pareko. And Alex, we're about to find out because Pareko was just placed on the COVID list yesterday along with Braden Shin. These are the 18th and 19th players to go on the list at some point this season for the Blues. They already have Tarasenko, Perunovic, and Wolman on that list as well. All three are technically eligible to return on Thursday. We'll see if they're actually able to do so. Alex, I wanted to ask you, because we've talked so much about the Blues defense this year. What are the Blues, A, missing with Colton Pareko being out of the lineup, at least for a couple of games? And B, how do they replace him? Because you don't do it one for one, of course. We all understand that. There's nobody on this team that can be what Colton Pareko is for them. But what do you do with that top pairing right now while Colton Pareko is out? Honestly, I have no idea with this. I think your top pairing is now Falcon Krug. I mean, we talked yesterday about how good those two have been this season. Those become your top pairings. I don't know if that I don't know if that means they're going to be the shutdown duo or if they're going to catapult somebody to play with Nico Mikola and they become a shutdown duo and Krug and Falk get more ice time. But whatever this is, I've seen a lot of people on social media talking about how bad Pareko has been this season. And look, the numbers don't look great. I mean, the expected goals against when he's on the ice, they're not where they should be for a guy. We've heard from Brian Lawton say he's not a number one defenseman. That may be true. But you're about to find out what this team looks like without Colton Pareko. And T-Bone, you made a great comp in the office earlier when we were doing our pre-show meeting. 
Remember the Jay Bomeister effect of everybody, God, get him out of here, he's terrible. And then when he was gone, it's like, oh my God, we need Jay Bomeister. How do we find the next Jay Bomeister? Bring Jay Bomeister back. <laughs> that is what's about to happen with Colton Pareko. Pareko may not look great, but what you're missing in him, you're missing the speed, you're missing the stick reach, because that is important when it comes to the back end, and you're missing a guy who, who just quarterbacks the play at even strength. You may not think he's doing great in terms of defense, but he is the... He is the quarterback for that team in terms of the zone exits. I mean, as soon as the puck is on his stick, he is either skating up the ice or he's creating an outlet pass. So what I would do in this circumstance, maybe Falk moves up with Nico Mikola and somebody else plays with Tori Krug. Maybe Scott Perunovic, if he's back for Thursday's game, plays with Tori Krug and they're your offensive-minded defenseman. But right now, I don't know what you do without Colton Pareko because it just it creates a big, big hole on the right side with Nico Mikola. See, I, I'm glad you threw that one out there because that's that's one that I like with Falk with Mikola because I was trying to think in my head here who who would I pair with uh, Mikola and I didn't really find a good match because I don't want to put him with a Scandella because sorry Scans but you, you're not helping me out much this year. I don't know if I want to pair him with a Prunovich because Prunovich means more offensive minded. I think Mikola is best suited with a defensive minded guy. And that's two guy. really green guys that are yeah. playing. Top so minutes for putting you. him with a veteran like Falk, who's played fairly well with Tori Krug, I, I think that's the way you go if you're the Blues. I would probably bump Falk up with Mikola, and then I would have Krug with, like you said, Perunovic if he's healthy when he returns. Interesting. I see. I would leave that one, that pairing as is, and just play them yeah. more. Like I would just say, you guys are playing 23 to 25 minutes for the next. Couple you're of our games. shutdown guys. Yeah, now. Th- those are my number one defensive pairing and if we're being totally honest, they've been your number one defensive pairing this year. Like th- those are your best defenders right now. And then Pareko, they're trying to figure out what to do with him and his pairing. And then whenever they have that fit, you're going to be able to have that as your number one defensive pairing again. You'll feel good about the top four. Uh, I think I would go with Scandella along with Mikola. And I understand how scary that is, but it's only a couple of games. If this was an extended period, we'd be talking about trades right now. That That's the reality because you can't replace Pareko internally. But I think you go Scandella on the right side with Mikola. And then I think you go Perunovic with Bortuzzo. You put him back out there. Again, if he's eligible, if he's ready to come back from the COVID list, which is not a guarantee, but that allows Perunovic to come back slowly. You're not pushing him straight back into the lineup playing 20 minutes a night. He probably is closer to like 12 to 15 uh, on the back end with Bortuzzo. And I think you move forward that way. So that way you're only downgrading on one of those two defensive pairings as opposed to making both of them a little bit worse. My only hesitancy with that is, I mean, Scandella and like Scandella has not looked good with other defensemen. I get it's that. It's been man. Robert Bortuzzo and maybe Robert Bortuzzo is the, maybe you catapult him up with Nico Mikla. I could see that. But what I think I would do, and I know it does sound crazy T-Bone because I was just, I mean, I responded to you and said, that's a really young and immature defensive unit. I might go Mikola and Perunovic and just find a way to chop down that ice time, extend Krug and Falk. They may be the guys that are playing 25, 23 minutes a night. And then Scandella and Bortuzzo are going to get more of an opportunity because I just, I need my veteran experience going up against the top units here. And Pareko's experience allows Mikola to learn on the fly. And I just don't know if I'm 
Scandell is a lefty. When he's been on the right side, it just hasn't looked that great. So I need a righty to play with Mikola. He's had moments, though. I remember when they first put him over on the right side. With Perunovic. He was getting far more involved. This was actually last year, whenever they tried doing that. He got way more involved in the offense, and it actually ended up being an issue because now it's kind of something where he's just trying to get more and more involved Skidilly, in the you're offense. not a forward man so um, stay back and it, it would be better if they did if he was you know back a little bit more an at-home defender but at first it looked pretty good and i was like oh this this could work out and then it started to yeah. wane back so if, if it is a small sample size maybe he could reach that peak again i, I think the play here is bortuzzo with mikola keeping Krug and Falk together and then having Scandella and Perunovic play together. I think that is the, and, and look, that's hoping that Perunovic and Wallman are asymptomatic yeah. and can come back. If not, Callie Rosen's going to be up. And then I think the play is exactly Callie Rosen with Marco Scandella. So the blues did make a move earlier today, right? They, they brought Nathan up Walker, Nathan Walker. And I, I think if they felt like they weren't going to be able to get Perunovic back, my assumption would be they would have already brought somebody up from the Thunderbirds. Yeah, they would have put somebody on the taxi squad because remember yesterday, Joshua and Rosen were sent right. off the taxi squad down to the minors. So I think what happened would be Rosen or Santini or some, somebody. I think right. they would have elevated somebody this morning along with Nathan Walker if they were concerned about yeah. not having Perunovic back. I that think would that be would be guess. your play because they're not skating today. Tomorrow is the first time they're getting back on the ice before their game on Thursday. So I think that'll be the play. If you see another roster move later on today, that tells you that they're not expecting those guys to be back. Because if I'm not mistaken, five days for those guys, if they're asymptomatic and test negative, would be tomorrow so that they'd get one skate in before they'd play in action. So that's that's going to be the most intriguing thing. But it goes back to how we started this conversation and the question you asked, PK, how does this team uh, manage without Colton Pareko? You're about to find out. And so many people have said, boy, Colton Pareko looks awful this season. What are they going to do? They need a number one defenseman. You're about to find out what it really looks like without Colton Pareko, and I think people are going to be begging for him to come off that COVID list as soon as possible. I wish we didn't have to find out what they look like without all of these Amen. guys this year. Like there, almost every significant piece that you have been there's kind of in the back of your mind, like man, that that guy's really valuable. Just how valuable? We've had to find yeah. out, and I wish we didn't have to uh, this year. For what it's worth, the only guys so far that have not tested positive for COVID oh, that are geez. on the active roster today and knock on wood, cross your fingers, do whatever you can. Logan Brown, Pavel Buchnevich, Clem Costin, Jordan Cairo, David Perron, Robert Thomas. Those are the only six. And then you've got Marco Scandella. So seven. I really seven wish you wouldn't have said those last two names that have not tested positive so far this year for the team that are currently on the active roster. It is wild, and it just never seems to end. The Blues back in action on Thursday night against the Kraken. Alex will have your pregame coverage for you right here on 101 ESPN Thursday at 6. We will hopefully have some news tomorrow at Morning Skate as to what they're going to do with the defensive pairings. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, Danny Mack joins the show. What's he expect from Nolan Gorman early in the season? Derek Gould doesn't think that he's going to be on the team. We'll ask Danny Mack about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and 
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to be joined by our friend and colleague, the colleague rather, the one and only Dan McLaughlin, Danny Mack, joining us here on BK and Ferrario via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Dan, how you doing today, man? Hey, morning, fellas. How we doing? Uh, we're doing all right. So earlier today, I was reading Derek Gould in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he did his weekly chat yesterday. And I always love reading it because I think he's got some really good insights into the Cardinals. And one of the Cardinals fans in there asked Derek Gould about what his expectation is for this middle infield rotation early in the season next year. And Derek said he expects that they will start Paul DeYoung at shortstop, Tommy Edmond at second base. He has Sosa as their utility man, and he thinks Brendan Donovan will probably fill the role of what was left from Jose Rondon. And that means that Nolan Gorman, at least as of now, according to Derek Gould, would start the year at AAA. Dan, I know you pay attention to these prospects as much as anybody. And over at Scoops with Danny Mack, you do a great job talking with uh, Brian Walton. What are your expectations for Nolan Gorman and what his role will be early in the season for the Cardinals? Well, I think that's definitely a scenario that could unfold. Um, I think part of this will be due to the fact that we may have a shortened spring. So um, do we have a, a CBA completed and do we have a full spring training at that point? And then you get a full look at both Brendan Donovan and at Nolan Gorman. Remember, guys can force their way onto the roster by the spring that they have. And we saw that last uh, last spring with Rondon. Um, the other thing I would say is, do they have a potential DH in mind? And I'm going to go ahead and think that we have a DH in play in the National League coming out of the uh, the CBA once it's resolved. And a lot of teams do not want to just pigeonhole a player and say, well, you know, I'm going to take this young guy, even though he can swing the bat and, uh, and make him a DH unless it's the body type that is looking like a DH. And so from all accounts and the people that I talk to, Nolan Gorman has made the transition to second base and has made it quite well. What complicates this, I think in a good way too, potentially is what happens at shortstop. You know, Tommy Edmond gives you, flexibility to play second base. I would prefer him at second base. And I don't think we give him enough credit for what he's done at second base and the job that he's done there. Goodness sakes, the guy just won a gold glove. So, you know, I mean, I can understand that he's got flexibility, can play the outfield and, and play it well and play shortstop and be fine. But I don't want to take away what his strength is, which is playing second base. But if he needed to, and the other two guys are not, uh, you know, playing to the level that you need him to, which is the young and Sosa, then that opens up another avenue potentially uh, for, no- for Nolan Gorman. But, you know, looking at it right now, it's a very right-handed heavy lineup with the exception of Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson. So that's another plus for both Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman. Both guys hit from the left side. Brendan Donovan's an infielder that's been added to the 40-man roster, by the way. He was added there in November. He was an Arizona Fall League All-Star and should be a guy that we see at some point this season with the Cardinals. Dan, who is your DH if the season were to start next week? Is is that DH on this team right now? I think it could be. I, I think you look at the rotation that you kind of finished up with last year on your bench, and one of the guys that, that obviously comes to mind would be Lars Newpar again, hitting from the left side. And I think anybody that hits from the left side is going to have an advantage because the the lineup is so right-handed heavy. Um, and I know a lot of people look at saying, well, you could, you know, give uh, Arenado a day or Goldie a day. I don't want to give them any days because they're so important for what they do defensively. 
Um, but, you know, that rotation of the outfielders, same thing. I'm not sure I want to give any of those guys much time to where I'm saying, well, I'm just going to start rotating players. Um, but I think that that player could be on the roster right now. I would look at a new bar as being someone that, that would uh, be in the conversation. Again, I think maybe Nolan Gorman, depending on how much spring training we get and the look that we get at him. And I think the other thing that we have to consider, fellas, is Ali Marmol, by all accounts, and I can't wait to have the chance to visit with him, but it does seem like he's going to be a little bit more of a manager that tinkers with the lineup, uh, who bats leadoff, who's going to bat cleanup, who moves down, who moves up. There could be a lot of maneuvering with that, which also then maybe tinkers with your designated hitter as you move forward in the season. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Lars Newtbar, and we're talking to Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest. You can also find him over on Twitter at Danny Mac TV. You mentioned Newtbar, and he was the guy last year that came out of nowhere, and it feels like it's maybe not an annual thing, but pretty close to it with the Cardinals. You'll have a player that by the end of the season is a significant contributor who at the beginning of the year, many of us didn't even know really much about them at all. Is there a guy, Dan, that you've heard of that you think might be on the come that by July or August, they're going to be a pretty significant contributor that most fans don't know a whole lot about right now? I think we already mentioned one. That'd be Brendan Donovan. Um, I think if you ask the casual fan, do you know about Brendan Donovan? And they'd say, well, I'd be a minor league guy and I've kind of heard about him. And, uh, you know, didn't they add him to the 40? Well, yeah, he's a good player. Uh, The strength right now of the Cardinals system, it seems to be, um, and I'm talking about position players, would be middle infield, and he's one of the guys that comes to mind. Another one would be another outfielder that was drafted not that long ago in 2020. Again, another outfielder that hits from the left side, which might help him and can play multiple positions in the outfield. That's Alec Burleson, another one that I know the Cardinals are very high on. And then a pitcher that I think is kind of sliding under the radar. I mean, we, t- we talk and hear so much about Matthew Libertor for obvious reasons, but uh, Jake Walsh is another one. He's had some injury issues in the past, but he's a guy that uh, I think could emerge in and give the Cardinals some innings in some type of role. Now, what that role would be, who knows? And if you get off to a slow start in terms of games played, meaning the season gets going and you only have three weeks of spring training and you need arms and you need depth, and we've seen that you need that no matter what, uh, I could see Jake Walsh being one of those guys that maybe the Cardinals call upon as well from the pitching side. Danny, speaking of, of emerging, Tommy Edmond, look, I mean, he's broke out these last couple of seasons, and I think so many people were talking about him as a top 10 second baseman after his last year. But according to MLB Network Radio, they did a list a couple of days ago, and they didn't have him as a top 10 second baseman right now in Major League Baseball. What does he need to do this season to put himself in that conversation? I look at that list, and a lot of those guys are guys that hit for a ton of power, and I don't think that he's going to be that guy, although when you look up, he's got 40-plus doubles, and he's stealing bases, and he wins a gold glove, and and that's what I'm talking about earlier, guys. I I don't quite understand, and maybe it's because I see him play every day, and I'm not trying to be a homer here, but he can flat-out play. Now, there are deficiencies at the plate from one side of the plate to the other. And I understand that. And you can make a case that, you know, he needs to play against right-handed pitching or play against left-handed pitching or whatever, you know, when, when you've got a switch hitter, I understand that. But to the steadiness that he brings to your team, um, I'm not sure he gets enough credit. And the, the fact that he wins a gold glove 
the first year after Colton Wong leaves St. Louis. There, there should be some credit to that, and there's not enough emphasis put on that. And I think a lot of times that these rankings look at just the, the national look at power instead of just looking at the overall body of work. And I, I just thought he was a very steady player. And remember, he saved the Cardinals bacon the first couple of months of the season because his, of his versatility and what he was able to do in the outfield. So I really just don't want to tinker with him. I understand Gorman's coming, but um, that's somebody that I, I just love to see him play every single day because he's going to save you some runs at second base too. And God, he looked good in the playoffs as well. That's the yeah. other thing. The, the moment just did not look too big for him. And no. that's, that's something that it, it is meaningful for these guys if the Cardinals are going to be playing for uh, a, a potential title this upcoming year. Dan, I wanted to ask you about another guy that's going to be hugely important to the Cardinals in 2022, and that's Nolan Arnato. I saw this from Sarah Langs of MLB Network. I, I find this to be fascinating, and you know I'm, I'm a nerd with some of the numbers. So I want to get your thoughts on this. According to Sarah Langs, last year Nolan Arenado hit 220 against fastballs. He had the slugging percentage of 440 against fastballs. Now, in his career, he's been a guy that typically hits like 290 or above with a slugging percentage in the 600s against fastballs. What does that tell you? Is there anything meaningful that we can take from that? And does it indicate that we should be expecting a better year production-wise for Arenado next year? I am, and that's saying a lot for a guy that had whatever 30-plus home runs, drove in 100. Here's one of the things I was thinking about, and I did see that tweet. Number one, I think he gets pitched differently in St. Louis. Number two, you have to remember when you're playing half your games at Coors, and I know his splits coming out of there, and, and he proved that theory wrong that, okay, you're a product of Coors, but the ball does move differently, and pitchers pitch differently. And when you have half your games there, sometimes you're, you may see more fastballs. Sometimes you're going to see more breaking balls. The breaking ball looks different. The fastball looks different. And I just think that now that he has a season under his belt, it could be that, that adjustment that he has now gets the, the chance to make. And maybe it was a situation where they pitched him differently, being in a different stadium primarily with the exception of the four-game series in, in Denver. And the, and the pitches, guys, the actual pitches come out differently. I don't care if you're throwing slider, fastball, changeup, curveball. It's just different when you're at Coors Field. So it's an adjustment period when he's played all those games, all those years in Denver. And where he's going to be in the lineup, I also think that that changed too. So – to break down where he was in the lineup, who hits behind him, I think is something to keep in mind as well. Final thing for you, Dan. There was some legitimately good news earlier today in Major League Baseball. Yeah. According to Jeff Passan, uh, the two sides, the players and the owners, are expected to have a bargaining session on Thursday. MLB is expected to make a, quote, core economics proposal at that session. It'll be the first time those two sides have met in about six weeks at that point. Are you hopeful about a deal getting done sooner rather than later? Where are we? Where are you at right now when it comes to this collective bargaining agreement? I'm just happy they're getting together and to get the ball rolling uh, one way or another. Um, but just the fact that we're hearing that there's going to be, you know, some type of core economic discussion, bottom line, BK, that's where it starts and we'll see where it takes us. Probably some of it won't be pretty. Some of it might be easier than we thought, but uh, let's get it done. And I, I do, I, I've said this from day one. I just think that both sides understand where we're at uh, in our country, in our world, and the importance of getting back to playing baseball, especially 
two years ago with a truncated season and only 60 games last year with many teams with uh, attendances that were at 15%, 20%, then it was 30. I mean, everybody was losing money, um, relatively speaking, obviously, um, to the what, you know, what a normal season would look like. So I think they all understand that getting back to normalcy is important for the sport and, um, and that their fan base wants it and get back on the field and start playing. So if this is the ball that gets it rolling, let's do it. He's Danny Mack. You can find him on Twitter at Danny Mac TV. We love catching up with him each and every Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario. Dan, stay well, my man. We'll talk with you again next week. You guys got it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. That's Danny Mack joining us here on 101 ESPN. We got a text, Alex, uh, from the 573. Guys, I'm glad that you take the the time to do the research and provide more information than the national media does. Tommy Edmond is clearly a top 10 second baseman. This is crazy that other people don't view him that way. I don't know that I necessarily would put him in the top 10. Oh, I, I would. I think you can make a case for it. But I, I'd have him above Kike Hernandez. I think that's probably where I would look as well. But Kike Hernandez f- feels like a reach. I get it. Kike Hernandez is kind of Tommy Edmond in some ways, though. I mean, you look at what he's do- produced offensively, and they've got some similarities for sure. And Kike Hernandez has been a big-time player in the postseason the last few years for both the Dodgers and then last year with what he did for the Red Sox. And maybe that's maybe that's where things are at, and that's how they made the decision. I mean, you have a little bit more length of Kike Hernandez in major league experience, but, I mean, coming off of a season with 40 doubles, it, it's really hard to look at that. Hernandez and say, was at 35 last year in 130 games. So it, it, it's just it's the profiles are very similar yeah. to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing that I would add to this is, like, if you look at this list, so just – for anybody that hasn't seen it, they had Marcus Simeon at number one, Albies two, Altuve three, Brandon Lau number four, Cattell Marte at five, and then the back half of their list was India, Cronenworth, Whit Merrifield, Chris Taylor, and Kike Hernandez. I, I could understand basically the 8, 9, 10, Merrifield, Taylor, Hernandez. That's where I think you can get into the conversation with Tommy Edmond. I think you can make a case that two years from now, we will view Tommy Edmond very similarly to the way that currently we view Whit Merrifield. I think they're very similar players. Am I am I a little in, like I know Jonathan India had a really good season, but I mean, He's I guess stud, it's man. I guess it's the power, the twenty one home runs compared to Tommy Edmond. But I mean, he had thirty four doubles, and Tommy Edmond had forty doubles. So I, I, once you hit like seven, eight, nine, ten, I can make an argument for Tommy Edmond just as much as all of those other guys. It's the it's a three seventy five on base percentage that does it for me with India. I mean, he's the perfect leadoff hitter, and <laughs> that's, what Danny, ma- that's yeah. what Danny mentioned. If you're able to get that up for, for Tommy Edmond, if you can get that on base percentage a little higher, that's the way he really, to your point, Alex, that's I mean, when he gets into the conversation with that I mean, I guess three was, to seven. But it's one season of Jonathan India. Yeah, but he it was just it was a special season. You know, he was the legitimate NL rookie of the year uh, for a reason. I, I would have him up that high. I, I I tend to agree with that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, do the Blues need to add a defenseman sooner rather than later? Jamie had a take on that yesterday on the fast lane. Want to get Alex's thoughts on that? But next, questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. We will answer the question that we just asked Dan as well. What do you make of the fact that the players and the owners are about to get back to the negotiating table? Talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey guys, now that the players and the owners are actually meeting, do you have more optimism about, about a deal getting done before the end of February? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Man, this is more than six weeks away. This is more of these guys just meeting because oh, they man. haven't met yet. And it's like, okay, we met. Thank you. Like, I can see this going. Both sides sitting down. The owners passing the players their proposal. And the players going, all right, that'll do it for us. It's about as much as we can handle. See you in February. See you in February, boys. No, I have no optimism with this. This is the first time they're meeting. This is a process. You meet the first time. You see if you can at least get out of that with some pleasantries and hope that there's a second meeting scheduled. What you don't want to happen. I don't know why my voice just peaked that high. It's like puberty for T-Bone. What you don't want to happen is them meet, get pissed off, and then not set up a second meeting. So, like, that is what I'm hoping for. Pleasantries are passed along. You know, they ask Rob how his offseason and his holidays have gone, and they schedule a second meeting. But, no, I have no optimism from just one meeting. Yeah, I have no optimism until I hear what comes out of this meeting because of the way I see this going is, oh, Major League Baseball and the players are meeting on Thursday, and then what's going to happen is MLB will propose their idea. MLBPA go, this proposal sucks. We don't have a counteroffer. We'll be back at the table in like three weeks. That's how I picture yeah. this going. So no optimism until I hear that, oh, hey, they actually had some talks that were progressive. Then I'll go, well, they may Ooh. actually be able to get something done. If you hear anything happy, optimistic, looking towards a resolution after Thursday, that's when we can have some optimism. Yes. Because my expectation is at the same place where your guys is, is at. I think you're going to have this meeting on Thursday and it's going to go very similarly to the one that happened on December 1st or leading up to December 1st, where they were at the same hotel. They met in a room. Reportedly, it lasted, what, eight minutes? Yeah. <laughs> and they both left and decided, yep. you know what? Let's head to the lockout. And that was at like seven o'clock. The lockout didn't happen until midnight. And they just, there was clearly so much between them. It wasn't even worth meeting. So that's kind of where I'm at with this as well. I'm not expecting them just to get out of it without any F bombs thrown the other way. This may just that's be, a they may just be meeting for their late gift exchanges from yeah. Christmas. They may just be meeting so that people can stop saying, I haven't even met yet. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, the air comfort service there. text line for questions and answers. Guys, if you were an NFL team watching the college football national title last night, who was the player that you left saying, holy bleep. How do we get that guy on our roster? Stetson Bennett, the fourth. Okay. Other than him. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, mine would be Jordan Davis. Uh, you love that guy. I don't even care that he, what would you say, BK? He's got like, what, two sacks this season? Yeah, he's got two sacks. I, I don't like even, four tackles for loss. I don't even care. He is built. I texted you, he's built like Calais Campbell. And you said, more like Vince Wilford. Yeah. Whichever it may be, he clogs up like three offensive linemen just with his reach alone. Uh, I don't care what he does the rest of his career. Uh, he would be drafted the first for me plainly from the way that he looks. See, I, I'm kind of taking the cop-out answer here, but I'm not even Stetson playing it. No, I'm not planning for this year. I'm planning for next year what I can get Bryce Young. That, that, really? that would be who he, I would, yeah. I, so I think he's really good. I, I love I love Young. 
Man, is he small. When you see him compared, like, Reminds even compared like to his Zach running Wilson. back. He looks like Tua. Yes. I mean, he, he looks, looks like... I think he might be even smaller than Tua. I, and that's why I don't understand why people are that... I mean, he didn't, like, blow me away with his performance. So he's listed at six foot and 195 pounds. No way. I don't believe it. 5'11". Like, maybe. He looks like Tanner out there. No. Whoa. Tanner's smaller. I don't know, man. Tanner's it, it, about the size of my nine-month-old. And, and maybe this is a totally unfair criticism, but, like, I, I do... I worry a little bit about his size, um, but that that would be my only concern about him. His, his talent is yeah. obvious two every a, time you see him out there. Two is six one, two seventeen. Man, so, so Young is significantly smaller. There's no way Bryce. Lighter. There's no way Bryce Young is six foot. I don't believe there's it no either. way five eleven maybe on his tiptoes. And I Tippy bet you toes. he's closer to my size. Like I bet you he's one eighty. Yeah, you know it, he's Damn, he is you're one eighty. I'm like one seventy. Hey, cut back on those tacos, man. <laughs> okay, Jeez. no kidding. Uh, if I was going to say one, like, uh, um, that's not the players that you mentioned. Will Anderson Jr. Yeah. is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. That kid for Alabama, I, I mean, he's a sophomore right now, so he's not even eligible for the NFL draft yet. He could sit out all of next year and be a top five pick. Mm-hmm. He could go the Micah Parsons plan. Like, he he is ready to go for the NFL right now. That's he a good comp, Micah Parsons. Right now and be an NFL player. The other guy that I would say from Georgia, Brock Bowers, their tight end, he's a true freshman. He finished the year with 890 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns. Who was um who was Georgia's cornerback? The one that was matching up on the right side. I think he was number 11. Mm, he was having a hell of a game. Ringo had a really good game. Maybe that's who, I, whoever the secondary guy. I mean, he was just covering guys like as as solid as you can get. So, I mean, look, anybody on that Georgia defense, I think you're not going to go wrong with a majority of those guys because they played out of their mind in that one. Their their linebacker, uh, Tyndall, holy Mm -hmm. cow, is that guy fast. And then the one other player that I would add, there there were a million players last night that we're going to see in the NFL in the next five years. But George Pickens, the receiver that had that really big play for Georgia, Mm -hmm. he tore his ACL in March. He's back from that right now. He's going to be a legit first or second round pick this year, and he's going to be a stud wherever he goes. He is a freak athlete who is physical as hell. So I'm fascinated to see where he ends up. That's that's a guy that I would absolutely yep. jump on the Mine table Mine is still for. Jordan Davis. I was building my team around that man. I don't know about you guys, but I think the graphic I saw in the game last night was they only projected five guys from those teams to be first round picks. And I was like, man, that feels low. <laughs> that feels <laughs> very low. Is that this upcoming draft, though? Yeah. I bet you there's another five for next year's draft that could be on that list. It's There was a lot of talent on the field last night. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Want to get his thoughts on what we talked about in the open. How do you go about replacing Colton Pareko while he's on the COVID list? JR will join us to discuss that next. But at the top of the hour, Jamie said yesterday he thinks the Blues should make a trade sooner rather than later. For whom? And what would it take to do so? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
count that that big bang. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So yesterday I was listening to the Fast Lane, and Jamie Rivers had a really interesting thought. Alex, I want to hear this, and then we can react to it on the other side. My preference is to get a player in here, especially if he's going to be an impact player, somebody that comes with either a long resume of how good they play or their style of play or leadership abilities, or if it's a younger guy like Jacob Chikrin. Then when he comes in here, you want him to be 100% acclimated and ready to go come playoff time. And for me, I'd like to have a little more runway for that player. Alex, we still have more than two months before the trade deadline. It's not until March 21st this year. That's when the trade deadline is official do you agree with Jamie, though, that if you're Doug Armstrong and you're looking at this, you're saying to yourself, OK, we're going to need to acquire a defenseman. Like You already are firmly in that stance right now. Would you want to get that done sooner rather than later? Is that something you would be looking at now? Or do you continue to wait as we get closer to the trade deadline? I mean, me personally, I would love to get it done now because... You get the guy in, and I know exactly what Jamie's talking about. Then you don't have to worry about, like, and it's different now than what it used to be because it used to be, like, the trade deadline, and then you'd have 30 days before the playoffs. Like, they didn't have enough time to get acclimated to a locker room. Now you still have, like, a month and a half, two months to get acclimated to a team. I'm always in favor of making the trade now compared to the trade deadline because you get the player in, you he, he can see what he's working with, you know, you get him acclimated to the roster, go on a couple of road trips, he knows who he is, he plays the role, and then come playoff time, he's he, he fits like a glove. But I think in the case of this offseason, or this trade deadline, I think I would wait closer to the trade deadline, because I truly feel like all of these prices are so exaggerated for these defensemen because defensemen look like the need this this trade deadline. I mean, Ben Sherratt's name's been brought up. Mark Giordano's name's been brought up. Nick Letty's name is now being placed in the conversations. And then, of course, Jacob Chikrin, who we talk about here in St. Louis. If you try and make the trade now, you're going to have to pay a king's ransom unless the team just absolutely wants to move on from him or you find a steal. But if you wait to the trade deadline when everyone's going after the one player and then you can kind of slide underneath everyone else and say, hey, we'll give you this form because everyone wants this guy. I think I would rather do that. And I go back to the Marco Scandella trade. He fit perfectly when he came in. And I don't think it's a matter of you need these guys to get acclimated with a long term opportunity. I think it's a matter of you trade for a guy. He knows who he is. He comes in and he plays that role to a T. I think it kind of depends, right? If we're talking Jacob Chikrin, I'm not sure the cost is going to change all that much because it is a multi-year contract. If we're talking about one of the players, though, that is like a Ben Sherratt, who's on the one-year deal and you're only going to get him for a couple of months if you trade for him at the deadline versus four months if you trade for him now, that's different. And the price very likely will go down as you get closer to the trade deadline because he impacts a a smaller number of games. So if you're going the one-year rental route, I do think that's when you wait. If you're looking at a Jacob Chikrin, if you're looking at one of these top in top of the market, he's going to be here for three year years and he's going to be a mainstay among the top four defensemen for us. That's when I do think you start looking at this right now. And yesterday, Alex, you saw on the 32 Thoughts podcast, this is with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Marek, uh, both NHL insiders. They were talking about Chikrin's market right now. And of course, they connected the Blues to Jacob Chikrin. Here's what they had to say about what it could potentially cost for the Blues to get him. There have been teams that have tried to get Joel Hofer away from St. Louis before, and they've always resisted. I wonder about the Arizona Coyotes if they're looking at the St. Louis Blues and looking at whether it's Joel Hofer or whether it's Jake Neighbors or maybe Scott Perunovich plus picks like 
St. Louis is having a real nice season. If you get that Perunovic in that deal, if that's what you're talking oh, about. Oh, boy, here. I know, right? Listen, I think Joel Hofer as well. He's a good player. Like, there's, like, St. Louis has... And they could use a goalie. Well, and that's the one thing that Arizona, I would think, more so over any other position, would be looking for right now. If I told you, Alex, that the cost to get Jacob Chikrin is Joel Hofer, Perunovic, or Neighbors, one of the two, another prospect... And then you throw picks in there. Maybe it's a couple of first round picks since you don't have that ready made NHL player that they would want. Like they would love to have Jordan Cairo. The Blues aren't giving them Jordan Cairo. If I told you that's kind of what it's looking like Hofer, Neighbors, or Perunovic, that's your second player in there, another prospect, and then one, maybe two first round picks that you've got to add in there. Is that something that you're interested in, especially if Hofer is really the crown jewel that Arizona would like to get because they need a goalie and. They believe in him, especially given the connection with Bill Armstrong down there. 100%. I'm pulling the trigger on this deal. The fact that they said this on the podcast, and look, Elliot Friedman knows what he's talking about, and we've heard the Jack Eichel comp of that's what they're looking for, and we've heard people say that it's going to be a a hefty price. As long as Jake Neighbors' name is not included in this, or Kyrou or Thomas, which I don't think that's even a starter for Doug Armstrong, as long as Neighbors' name isn't involved with this, I'm making the deal no matter what. And I think this is interesting, too, because... Arizona wants draft picks. Arizona wants guys who aren't ready for the NHL, but might be three or four years away. Joel Hofer. I mean, I've heard his name brought up so many times in trade conversations in the past, because this is a guy, this is a guy who, if I'm not mistaken, he had the shutout record in junior hockey. I might be thinking of Colton Ellis, but one of the two, that's why I haven't trading Joel Hofer because I have Colton Ellis. I have another goaltender who's a top prospect and you have Ville Husso and Jordan Bennington's here for a long time. You're not going to be needing a goaltender anytime soon. So if the price is Scott Perunovich, that's a hefty price. But if I'm getting Jacob Chikrin in return, I'm pulling the trigger on this deal because it sounds like it's going to be draft picks, which sucks. But I mean, we talked yesterday or a couple days ago about how good the Doug Armstrong and his staff are and, and draft and prospects in producing them. So, yeah, if this is the cost, I think that is an easy deal for me. What if that's the cost that Doug Armstrong wants to give? And then Bill's like, ah, you know what? We don't need the two first round picks. We need one. And, in, and instead of the prospects, the lower level prospects that you're going to give us, uh, we actually need you to include either Barbashev or Sunquist in this deal. One of those two. So you're going at this point, just to update the trade, Hofer, one of Perunovic or Neighbors, one of Barbashev or Sunquist, and a first-round draft pick. That's what you're giving up now for Chikrin, who's going to now come in and establish himself as your number two defenseman. Him and Colton Pareko are going to be paired for the next three to five years, and your top four is now established for the next three to five years with Pareko and Chikrin and Krug and Falk. Are you doing that, Alex? I think that's too much. I think that's the line for me because I don't know if I can move on. Like Sunquist, I think I would at least consider, but Barbashev, there's no way I'm doing that. So basically, you're not taking anything off of the NHL roster as I don't is. think you can. I don't think you can take anything off of the NHL roster because if this is a Stanley Cup chance for you, if you take something off of the roster to add on defense, that's great. You've made your defense better but you're taking a massive blow to what your best asset is right now when it's offense. I'm I'm I can't believe I'm saying this. I think I would consider it with Sonny. And the reason why I'm saying that is because if you look at the way that this roster is constructed right now, you have too many centers. And that's a good problem to have because eventually you're going to get into a situation where one of them isn't available and you're going to be happy. You have too many centers. But 
if you're telling me I can move Shin back to center, he's going to be up, up the middle with O'Reilly, Thomas, and then Shin as your number three guy, and I've got Vladimir Tarasenko thrown back into the mix, my top nine's kind of set with Barbie, O'Reilly, Buchnevich, Thomas, Kairou, Tarasenko, Saad, Shin, and Perron. That's my top nine, and I feel pretty darn good about that, honestly. That requires them to all stay healthy. That requires you to not have guys that end up getting hurt going into the playoffs. But if that's my top nine, I feel pretty darn good about it, especially if I've now got Jacob Chikrin on my in my uh, defensive court. Yeah, but I, I think you're taking a hit to the heart and soul factor in this thing. And when you take a player like that totally away from that. the team, yeah. I, I think that that is... If if that's the case, then yeah, I'm trying to pull the trigger now rather than trade deadline time because I need to try and build that chemistry back up when you take a big, sunny player out of that locker room. I mean, the record speaks for itself with what this team is when Sonny's playing and not playing. So that's why, and look, I understand that Sonny's a center and you have a lot of centers, but what happens if you can't afford Ryan O'Reilly? And then you have a big hole at center position that I think you'd want Oscar Sundquist to fill. You need Shin to get back to form whenever he's healthy. And that's what worries me. I don't think Sundquist is going to be that guy either. I don't think so. Sonny's more of a winger than he is a center. If anybody's a center, it's Ivan Barbashev for you, which is why I'm not touching Barbashev. I would consider it with Sundquist. The problem here is I just one of those heart and soul guys and you're taking a massive blow to a team that's trying to win the cup this year. So that's why I'm giving up as many prospects as I need to. I'm giving up as many picks as I need to. But as soon as you get to my NHL roster, other than like a Clem Costin or a Marco Scandella, that's where I'm cutting it because I just can't take a, a hit to my team. I'd rather go get a Giordano or a Sherratt and just give up draft picks and see if they can help. Let's talk to Jeremy Rutherford about that on the other side. Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. If Arizona told you, hey, we need one of Sonny or Barbashev in this deal. We need somebody from the top nine forwards right now, the way that things are constructed. Would that prevent you from going out there and making the deal for Jacob Chikrin? We'll ask JR about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. From what I've told, what I was told during the break, apparently JR's yelling at us through his JR. radio in the car. He joins us via Get the Brown him. and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. Hey, JR, uh, I'm going to reset this for anybody that missed our last <laughs> segment. Get him, JR. So we were talking about the potential costs to acquire Jacob Chikrin, who is the defenseman, young defenseman for the Arizona Coyotes, comes at a very reasonable cost. He's under club control for the next few years. Now, Arizona is reportedly at least listening to offers on him, but it's going to take close to a king's ransom to be able to acquire him. So the 32 Thoughts podcast with national analysts on this said Joel Hofer, Perunovic, Neighbors, those are the kinds of names that you're going to be hearing connected in any kind of deal like this. So I proposed to Alex, hey, would you consider a deal that included Joel Hofer, one of Scott Perunovic or Jake Neighbors, one of either Barbashev or Sundquist, and then a draft pick as well. Probably a first-round pick is what they would ask for. And now, JR, you can tell me why that is a laughable (laughs) offer and why the Blues should never do such a thing. Get him, JR! I don't know that it's laughable, but when Tanner did call me, I said, is he on drugs? (laughs) Throwing in uh, (laughs) Barbashev and and Sundquist in there. One of of the two, just one of them. 
Yeah, just one of the two. But here's the thing. Okay, let's set the table here, and you guys have done a good job of this so far. I'll just add my two cents. Arizona is in it for picks and assets and prospects, and and that's what the 32 Thoughts uh, podcast said. I think that's what everybody, once they saw Chikrin was available, uh, that Arizona is trying to add. Look, Bill Armstrong, when he left St. Louis, he went into that interview in Arizona, and he said, I'm going to blow this up, and I'm going to add as many assets and and prospects as I can, and it's going to take a while, and this is what we're going to do. I think Arizona is probably one of the teams that could have gotten involved in the Tarasenko trade talks as a team that would take on some cap space to get some prospects and picks. Look, what do they have, five second-round picks, you know, coming up uh, here in the next draft. So I think it's a situation where if you're the Blues, you don't have to worry about giving up a Sunquist or a Barbashev, and I know you said either or. I wouldn't give up either one of them. They are Stanley Cup caliber players and yes you upgrade on defense if you put a chicken in but if you're putting a costin or you know a neil or a, you know you probably got logan brown in the lineup which is fine he's played well instead of a barbershop or a sunquist it just doesn't make sense you're you're filling one hole and you're making another hole i think in that situation so you know can i see him moving a prenovich yeah if chicken's come this way i think that's a, a possibility yeah, i don't think they'd part with neighbors don't forget you got Bolduke there and in the system, he's still right there. You know, I think if Doug Armstrong were to make this move, it's going to involve picks and prospects. You're going to have to get, move some salary to make it work, I'd imagine, but I can't see them get given up a player like a Barbashev or a Sunquist. JR, regardless if it's Jacob Chikrin or Ben Sherrod or Mark Giordano, or maybe it's a name that we haven't even talked about, uh, do you have a feel if Doug Armstrong is going to pull the trigger on trading for a defenseman at some point this season? I think they'd like to. I think they'd like to at some point. You know, I just think as Doug Armstrong, and you can only go by what he has said the few times he's spoken on it, is that he thinks the defense is a work in progress. And I think when the rest of your team could be a Stanley Cup contender, I don't think you can go into the post-trade deadline with a lineup that you're saying is a work in progress on the back end. So, you know, I think we've seen enough of the season. I think we've seen enough of the, the, the top six or seven guys, who they are, what they can do. Uh, certainly, Nico Mikula's emergence with that top pair has helped out. I think Keepin Krugenfalk has helped out. But, you know, is the third pair a cup contending? You know, we don't know. And if you add a guy at the top like Chikrin, it has that trickle-down effect where maybe Nico Mikula is in your third pair now and you're getting that kind of play out of a third pair guy. So to me, I think Doug Armstrong definitely would add if that uh, possibility were available. JR, yesterday I was listening to the fast lane and Jamie said he would rather get this done sooner rather than later to make sure that the fit works prior to getting into the postseason. I know when they traded for Scandella, it felt like right away he fit in here. But then you look at uh, the situations with Krug and Falk and it did take some time for them to be able to mesh do you think that makes sense for the Blues to try to get this done as soon as possible? We still got almost two months right now before the actual deadline exists. I do, but it's so multifaceted. Like, uh, yeah, if you could get a chicken in next week, does it help that you get him, you know, a few weeks before the trade deadline? He's really able to get his footing. Sure, but at what cost? And I think uh, why would Arizona be in a hurry? You know, if they can hold out to the trade deadline and get a bigger package for, for him from somebody else, closer to the deadline then the blues wouldn't want to pay this exorbitant price you know two three four weeks ahead of time so i think that's a big factor uh there so i think that's why you you don't see those types of trades until closer to the deadline 
So, JR, on the news front for the Blues, we found out yesterday that Colton Pareko and Braden Shen were placed on the COVID protocol. And uh, we talked about this earlier in the show, and I think this might be soon the Jay Bomeister effect on Colton Pareko. Granted, Pareko has not been great this season, but uh, you don't know what you have until it's gone. We saw it last year with Pareko's injury. I think people are going to start talking more about the necessity of Colton Pareko than the absence of Colton Pareko after this uh, absence. Yeah, Alex, I think with him going on that COVID list along with uh, Braden Shen, it's going to be a, a loss on the back end. And You know, I think uh, Pareko and Nico Mikula are really starting to make some strides here the past couple of weeks. We've seen some of their better games together, and I think part of that has to do with uh, Mikula just growing game by game. But, you know, Pareko's definitely, I think, been improved than, than from where he was earlier this season. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's playing 22, 23 minutes, and getting the job done for the most part, and now you're going to be without that for a couple games. So I think the Blues will miss them for sure. So, JR, look into your crystal ball because I know they don't skate later today. It'll be tomorrow when they hit the ice. Uh, Who do you go with with defensive pairings? I mean, if Perunovic and Wallman are back for them, do you just put somebody in the spot with Nico Mikula, or do you really shift some things around? Yeah, it's a good question. We'll have to wait. You know, they didn't practice yesterday. Like you said, they're not practicing today, so we'll have to wait and see what those pairs look like. You know, Justin Falk is obviously your top guy on that side. You'd like to keep him with Tory Krug. Does this mean for a game or two, Tory Krug maybe takes on some more minutes and plays in that top tier role? You know, I don't know if 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 they want to keep those guys together. That's what they could do. You could see uh, Mikula in that second pair. You know, possibly playing with uh, Scandella on the right side. You know, perhaps that's an option. Um, you know, and also we have to see, are they going to get Jake Wallman back soon from the COVID list? So, you know, I think they're going to have some options. It's going to look a little different without Colton Preco. To me, the big thing, it just kind of hinges on, do they want to keep Falk and Kirk together? He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over at The Athletic. Always follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. JR, enjoy uh, enjoy the time off the next couple of days, my man, or I guess the last couple of days. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you again next week. Yep, thanks, boys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. So, obviously, JR disagrees with uh, the idea that you could potentially trade either Barbie or Sonny in a deal for Jacob Chikrin. I really do understand where he's coming from. You don't want to break up what is a legitimate championship core. I just go back to what I said in the last segment where it's like, hey— I think you focus on Sonny here. I, I don't think Barbie's even a real conversation. Yeah, if you're Doug Barbie's Armstrong, a he's, he's a potential 25-plus goal scorer for you. He is still very young. He, he's got more upside to give. Like he's, I, I don't think he's even going to be in the negotiation. So let's focus on Sonny. I don't know if that's the type of player that Arizona would want or not. But he's got championship pedigree. He's great, as you said, in the locker room. He's a guy that if I am going through some struggles and I want young players to learn from somebody, Sonny's the right kind of person to have in that locker room. So maybe that's the way that Bill Armstrong would sell it. And from the Blues perspective, I will. I want to have Sonny here. I'm not trying to push him out by any stretch of the imagination. But we keep saying this is the deepest group of forwards that the Blues have ever had. This is the deep, deepest group of forwards that the Blues have ever had. And if that continues to be the case and you're super light on the back end where you do need a top pairing defenseman, trading a guy that when you're fully healthy might be a fourth liner for you, I do think could make some sense for the Blues. As much as we all love Sonny and I would not want to see him go, when everybody is healthy, 
how do you keep him in the top nine? The only way you do is if David Perron is moving down to the fourth line. And I just don't see that being what they decide to do. So, or maybe Shin. It's, it's one of those two. It's either Shin, Sonny, or Perron that's going to have to drop down to that fourth line when the Blues are fully healthy. So I, I that's where I'm coming from here. Yeah, that would be a move that I would consider in the offseason when you bring in Sonny's name, not in the middle of a season, not where you need him for a cup run. Like if you fall short of the Stanley cup and defense is the biggest hole, then I would go into the off season and look at a Jacob Chikrin and say, you know what? We might have to part with Sonny, but did you miss your moment? If you do that, that that's the reason why I think we're talking about this right now is just because this team is so close, man. And we can yeah. all see it. We can all see what but the I potential think fatal why, flaw is for them. But I think that's why you avoid making the move with Oscar Sundquist in the middle of the season and you just trade everything possible below that. Like you trade all of the assets, you trade all what of the you pieces. you can't get Chikrin without including Then I him? think you have to move on to the next option because as much as you like Jacob Chikrin, and look, Jacob Chikrin, so many people are texting and saying, what is it about Jacob Chikrin that you love? Stop looking at the plus minus because he's on an awful team. Look at his pedigree in the NHL that's what you're talking about but I, for what you would have to pay to get Jacob Chikrin if it meant getting rid of an Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev I would rather take my chances and bring in the next step down from Chikrin as a Giordano a Ben Sherratt and try and improve in that category because I know that my offense is set and I'm going to find the next tier but if I can get Chikrin without touching my NHL roster and I have to take a hit for the next three years in my future I'm going to do that because I think he gets me my better chance. For what it's worth, I think I'm on the same path as you. I I think I'm right there with you where I would just trade for that stopgap. See if that works. And then if it doesn't, I'm going to fix that in the offseason, whether it be a free agency or trade. The reason why I do think this is at least worthy of a conversation, even though I'm getting just destroyed right now on the tax line, which is fine. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. They're always nice. Is because... (laughs) When you look at the way that the Blues are assembled, the one place where, like, forget just for right now, for the future, that you feel like, I, I'm just not sure how that's going to f- fix itself, is your defensive pairings. Yeah. And if you're looking at Sonny's future here in St. Louis, I want him here. But if I can fix what is currently the biggest issue, and my one holdup with that trade, because before we include Sonny, we're all eh, at least giving serious consideration to this deal. If my thing up there is a guy who, in a best-case scenario for the Blues, where they're fully healthy, is a potential fourth-liner for them, I do think that's at least something, if you're Doug Armstrong, that you would have to consider. And I understand that he is part of the heart and soul and the identity of this team. Totally get that. But you also, right now, are missing that defensive pairing. And if I can solve that for years to come and this season, where I don't have to give up that draft pick that you're talking about, Alex, and instead of that, I'm just... Let's go all in right now and let's make this thing happen. And then then in the offseason, maybe you do also go out and acquire Matthew Kachuk. And now you've got your next core along with your current one. That's where I think things get very interesting. But despite all of that, I do also understand there is a strong argument for saying that's too much. I would rather just trade the second round pick right now and get a Ben Sherratt or a third round pick and get Ben Sherratt, who yeah. I think can be fine, even if it doesn't fix it for the long haul. Yeah, I, I mean, this is why this is going to be so intriguing, because I mean, look, if the deal is true with what Friedman and Jeff Merrick said, and if you missed it, they basically said Perunovic or neighbors, a Joel Hofer and then some draft picks. If that's what the cost is. I'm pulling that deal in a heartbeat because I think Jacob Chikrin makes you an elite Stanley Cup contender. But as soon as it goes into my NHL roster, 
I'm going to find the next guy that makes me a serious contender but takes me out of the dark horse conversation. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. We'll get back to this conversation at the end of the show today. But coming up next, I want to talk about some NFL season superlatives. What was the single biggest surprise of this NFL season? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. season superlatives of Alex Ferrario and Tanner oh, Hendrickson. Yeah. I am oh, Brandon Kylie. Yeah. Kool-Aid man coming in hot over here. By the way, did you see Alabama has a cornerback named Kool-Aid? Yeah. It's his real it's name. A great name. I think we've had this conversation. Do you, I love it, do you think... I think we did. His family enjoys Kool-Aid. Is that why they named it? I would have to imagine. All right. Biggest family name. Biggest surprise from this NFL season. This is in the positive side of things. We'll get to biggest disappointment, but the biggest surprise this NFL season on a positive side of things was what for you, Alex? The Detroit Lions. Nope. That would be the opposite. Why? They got four wins, man. They How got three. That not a surprise. They, they uh, had a the, tie. We'll call it a win. It's a win. Uh, biggest surprise for me, I think, is Aaron Rodgers' performance. I didn't expect really? him. Yeah, I just didn't expect him to be an MVP with Green Bay. I, I really thought this offseason he was going to do the nonchalant, oh, I guess I got to play and be here. I thought he was going to be average, which seems insane to say because Rodgers can't be average. Looked like it in week one. Maybe he did, but I just, I really didn't think he was going to put on an MVP performance because he won it out of Green Bay. And the fact that he did what he did this season and has made Green Bay a legit Super Bowl contender with basically the same roster, that was the biggest surprise for me. And now I'm wondering if he's going to be here after this season. I was taken back by that. I think my biggest surprise was the Philadelphia Eagles. That was on my list. I'm shocked that they are a playoff team. And I'm shocked that we're even talking about Jalen Hurts as the future there in Philadelphia. We aren't. I, I... we okay me and bk are ferrario's not and, and especially like mid-season we get to the point where we, we're talking about planting flowers and i'm going my goodness i cannot there's no way philadelphia is a playoff team they get in we're talking about them legitimately having a shot to beat tampa bay they're easily the biggest surprise for me this season that's yeah, just because tampa sucks i had a list of two teams and the eagles were one of them i'm stunned that they're legitimately in the postseason and that i think they have a real shot to not only cover the spread but beat Tampa outright in the first round I'm going on the AFC side of things the Bengals I didn't believe in them as a legitimate contender in the AFC North I thought they would be the worst team in the AFC North this year and instead they're 10 and 7 a legit top 5 to 7 MVP candidate at quarterback in Joe Burrow they still can't protect him but it doesn't matter because Jamar Chase is a stud T Higgins had some huge weeks down the stretch and that offense is at least for me, the most exciting offense in the league to watch, I don't know that they're the best. I would not put them in that category. I'm not sure there's anybody that I have enjoyed watching more over the last four to five weeks, though, offensively than the Bengals because of what they can do in their deep passing game. They remind me a lot of watching the Chiefs early on in Patrick Mahomes' career where it's like, holy cow, a 60-yard bomb to Jamar Chase and then on the very next series, a 50-yard bomb to T. Higgins? That, that's the thing that surprised me. I didn't think they had this in them. I thought maybe 8, 9, 7, and 10 type of a record. 10 and 7 surprises me. All right, biggest disappointment this year in the NFL. Alex, who you got? I think I got to go with the Chargers here. I mean, that's a good one. barely making the playoffs, but 
missing he didn't the make, playoffs. Well, that's what I'm saying. Barely making it, barely missing it, however you want to look at it. But at the end of the day, you missed it. Wait, do you think they're a playoff team? Yeah, they're a playoff team. Okay. No, what, no, I know. They, look. What just happened? They, they should be a playoff team. And I think that has to be a disappointment with the roster that they have put together. And the disappointment's probably going to go more on the coaching side because we've said, what, three, four times this season? What the hell is this guy doing? Um, I think that would probably have to be the biggest disappointment for me because as much as I poo-poo on Justin Herbert and BK loves him, he should be in the playoffs. I think I'm going to stick in the AFC, but I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns. I, I mean, looking at the Chargers roster, I could point out some holes coming into the year. Looking at the Browns, I said they've got a solid defense. Their front seven is solid. They can run the ball like crazy. They've got a wep- two weapons at the time in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. You have drama with Odell. Baker Mayfield takes not just a step back, but he takes such a far step back that we're discussing the possibility of him being traded or talking about the possibility of him being moved on from as the franchise quarterback. So to me, it's the Cleveland Browns. This is going to be a weird one because they finished the year with a, a, a good record. I think Tanner will agree with me, though. It's the Rams. Yeah, they. <laughs> it's the Rams. <laughs> I thought they were going to be so much better offensively than this. Like they're they're above average offensively at best. You trade for Matt Stafford and you go all in on him the way that you did. And then you add Odell Beckham at the trade deadline. You go all in on your defense with Von Miller. I, they have, what, three of the 15 best defensive player in the in, players in the NFL with Donald, Ramsey, and Miller. And Miller's been terrible for them. They're just okay. Yeah. Like, I, I don't even remember. I don't even think I've said Miller's name once since he was acquired. I think he has just one sack since he's been acquired. Yikes. He just, he really hasn't done a whole lot for them. And listen, like, Aaron Donald's amazing, and Jalen Ramsey is still the best corner in the NFL. But that team, do, do any of us view them as a top two contender in the NFC right now? No. No. <laughs> I don't view them that way. Do you view them? Where do you view them relative to the other teams in the NFC? Like, I would go Packers above them, Cowboys above them. I think you can make a strong case. Like, I'm picking the Cardinals to beat them in the first round. So I would take the Cardinals above them. And I mean, I, how do you not put the 49ers I above them? I was about them? to say, I they think just you can make them. a case for the 49ers as well. I would make a case for it. I think they match up decently against Arizona. So I yeah, don't know I if I'd put Arizona yeah. above them, but that's weird because I would put San Francisco above them because San Francisco... Both games they played them this year, especially that Monday night game, they dominated them, and then they dominated the second half this past week. So I would take San Francisco. I don't know if Dallas matches up well against them. I would take – well, I think they do because they're defense. So I would give Dallas, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, San Francisco. So I'd go four. Yeah, I, I think fourth or fifth in the NFC. And if you told me before the season that they're not in the top two, I would have said that's a massive disappointment. So they're my team for the biggest disappointment this year. All right, next one. Season superlatives for the NFL in 2022. Who is the team that you think is on the cusp of something special in 2022? If they had a quarterback or they had a couple more pieces, they get the right coach in there. Who's the team that maybe is a little bit away right now, but you feel like when they come back in 2022, they're on the cusp of maybe becoming the next Bengals. Man, the team that takes that step overnight. I think I got to go with the team that we talked about yesterday. I think it's the Denver Broncos. I think... I mean, they're two pieces away, in my opinion. They got to get a really good head coach and they got to get their quarterback. But I think if you're able to accomplish those two pieces and they might be intertwined, if they bring in somebody like a Brian Flores, like I mentioned yesterday, and they get Deshaun Watson. But I think if you add those two elements to that Denver Broncos team as is, I think you're talking about a 10 win team for the Denver Broncos. So they're the team that I think has to do a little maneuvering in the offseason, but if they're able to accomplish it the correct way, you're talking about a team that could be competing for a Super Bowl. 
Yeah, that's that's a good one because I had Broncos too. I originally had Miami, but then they fired Flores. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of changed everything for me. I, this may be kind of the cop-out answer, but I think it's New England. I get they're a playoff team, but I think they're building something special. That defense is good. I don't think any of us here view them as Super Bowl contenders. I still am a very big Mac Jones believer, and I think they're really going to open that offense up next year for him. They'll add a couple weapons around him. I think I would go New England Patriots. I also had the Broncos on my list, but to go a little differently, we talked about the Chargers. I think they could be on this list. They add a, a couple head more coach. pieces. Maybe they'll be able to be right there for the Super Bowl mix, not just the playoffs. The team that I would go with is the Ravens. Get healthy, add a couple more weapons, maybe improve that offensive line. It was bad this year. That'll help the running game. If they're able to do that, I think they could be a really good team again next season. And we could go into 2022, and it'll be the Bengals, the Browns, and the Ravens once again at the top of the AFC North. I would not be surprised if next year the Ravens are a 12 or 13 win team. They they are right there. And Lamar having so many injuries and COVID issues this year. I I think the Ravens will be back in full force once again in 2022. By the way, they've now got a last play schedule, which makes a big difference going into next year because they finished last in their division. So they're going to be good next year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Alex has been waiting for this all day long. He says he's got something great for the junk drawer. It's been giddy. We'll find out about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario has been telling us all day, man, we, we need enough time for my junk drawer today. So Alex, what do you have for us? All right, man? look, let me put this out on the forefront. I understand that I was basically wrapped into this troll job from the tweet earlier today. Oh, way to go. But if I were to tell you guys the top 10 male singers of all time, who would be names that come to mind? Oh, I saw Top that. 10 male singers of all time. Who comes to mind? Nelly. Yeah, Nelly, Nelly is definitely nice, top of mind. Nice way to sell to the market. Um, I would probably put Chingy up there. Okay, this is ridiculous. Who? Chingy he definitely doesn't even is. Know uh, who Chingy is <laughs> definitely one Dude, that it's immediately right there comes for to you. mind. He made that up. No, he didn't. Oh, all right. God, in all seriousness, Chuck Berry, Sinatra, be another okay. one. In all seriousness, top ten male singers of all time. This was a power ranking done by Barstool Sports. And again, I understand it's a troll job. They're getting people into this. I just don't understand how you can legitimately put this out there and think even if it is a troll job, it is the dumbest list of all time. So, top ten male singers of all time: Elvis Presley. We're all on board with that. Eh, Michael Jackson. A we're all okay. on board with that. This is where I got Elvis Presley. This is where I got really. This is where Tanner doesn't know who Chingy is, but he said you just said Elvis Presley is overrated. That's my prime. This is where I got legitimately pissed off this morning. They had Frank Sinatra at number four, ahead of Frank Sinatra. These idiots put Jesse McCartney. Don't you raise your eyebrows, BK, and act like Jesse McCartney is a better singer. Did you, Okay, listen, when you saw this list and you saw that Adam Lambert was at number six, you thought it was real? I, <laughs> no, I knew this wasn't real, but I just don't understand how people can legitimately put this out there and but, think it's even funny. It's not even funny. It's stupid. Alex, they put Adam Lambert. Adam and Lambert. Freddie Mercury. At number six. Can you guys name they put Stevie Wonder, who's not blind, at number eight? 
Like, what What did you think this list was? Can you guys name one freaking song that Jesse McCartney I sings? Mean, listen, I don't like, even know who the guy is. <laughs> what about What about Ryan Cabrera? I don't know him either. What about Chase Hudson? That name sounds familiar. That's not. Can't guarantee Again, that I know him, though. I don't know why you took this and you allowed it to affect your mood for the day. Oh, it affected my mood because anybody who just disses on Frank Sinatra deserves to be called out. That's fair. That is a fair point. I enjoy listening to I understand to it's a troll job, but don't even put it out. It's stupid. It's stupid. And don't put a little asterisk next to it at the bottom that says, ooh, the data was run through our number system. No, it wasn't. Nobody even likes Ryan Cabrera. So stupid. I, I can't believe you allowed this to get you upset. The reason why sites like this exist are because of people like you. Whoa. You're the reason. Yeah, First true. of all, because not only did you give it attention, but yeah, you, you allowed it, it to air. emotionally take oh, over the rest of your day. It emotionally affected me. I had to listen to Frank Sinatra on my way to work this morning because I was so upset about that's this. A good, that's a good call, though, no matter what the scenario is. I'm not even worried about how you rank them. Like, just get the people right. <laughs> This is like when I come on and say that the Blues should consider trading Oscar Sundquist. That's essentially for our audience. No, what that was just a dumb idea. About this, about that this was just list. a dumb idea. This Except is... mine was real. I actually, I feel like I have real thought that went into my decision or my idea. This, this was the, just them saying, what are the most ridiculous names that we could add on to this list? So then why not do a top 10 list of ridiculous names? Because they want to make you upset. Well, guess what? <laughs> Worked. <laughs> No kidding, want to make worked. you mad. Oh, so stupid. I put it out in the forefront. I said I know it's a troll job. It still angers me. 65780 is the air comfort service text slide from the 314. Guys, where is Elton John? He's not on it because it's a ridiculous list. It's a ridiculous list. By the way, someone texted in, where's Clay Aiken ranked? Well, he should have been in top six for sure. He's got a couple good songs. He's got a By couple. The way, is he running for office? Yeah, Did I see that he's running recently? for Senate. Clay Aiken's got a couple of bangers. Who's Clay Aiken? Oh, gosh. Dude. <laughs> what is wrong with you? He was what? The first American Idol? No, he was the no, second, American American Idol. second American Idol. And he was robbed. Should have won it. over Ruben Studdard. Yeah, what's he up to today? Uh, I think he's gospel music. Well, yeah, but is he like making I, it big? I, I just said his name and Tebow doesn't either. know who he no. is. Of course he's not making it big. <laughs> okay. well. Someone's in Alex's little butthole hurt over this. I am. You don't disrespect two guys, Frank Sinatra and Freddie Mercury. They're, you just don't disrespect them. I don't even care if it's a troll job. Put their names on it and take Otis Redding's name off of it. Stop disrespecting them. That's all I'm saying. I just think they should have put Chingy on the list. That's Chingy the only thing definitely should have deserved to be on this list. <laughs> That's such up a made-up name. 15 minutes. We're going to play a game John of bad Denver. Heck no. It. Get John Denver out of there. He is great. 65780 is the air comfort Blue's service text line for bet it or forget it. Where was the Beach Boys? That's really all I'm asking. But it's coming up band. next, it's, like, it's guys. One. What's Nolan Gorman's role going into the season for the Cardinals? At least one insider thinks it might be down in the minors. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So where's Nolan going to start out the year? Talking about Arenado? Nolan Gorman. Third, third base. base. Gorman? No, Arenado. Ah, see, I'm talking about the Gorman. 
version of Nolan. You need to be a little more specific. According to Derek Gould, it might be down in AAA. So yesterday on his weekly Cardinals chat, somebody asked him, hey, what's your take on the infield situation for the Cardinals, specifically the middle infield situation with DeYoung, Sosa, Edmund, Gorman, and Brendan Donovan all potentially fitting into the mix? And Derek Gould said, quote, I expect to see DeYoung at shortstop, Tommy Edmund at second base, Edmundo Sosa filling the utility role and Brendan Donovan competing to be what Jose Rondon had last year as his role. He then added and Gorman at triple a starting at second base. That's his expectation on opening day with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, how does this change? If at all your impression of the early version of the St. Louis Cardinals, if this is the case, if they decide to have Nolan Gorman start out the year down in triple a, because I've kind of operated under the assumption, especially if they're not going to add another bat in free agency, that Gorman would start the year up with the big league club. Does this change anything for you on your expectations early in the season? Yeah, I mean, two things come to mind. One, it makes sense with Gorman uh, because I think he's still young and you want him just to continue to develop. And if he's not playing second base or DH every day, then I think you want to make sure he's gone. But for me, this changes the fact of how I'm going to look at this offense because if you don't have Nolan Gorman start up here, everyone's been talking about how you're going to put the faith in these younger guys. Well, you're taking away a lot of expectations for your offense and you're placing in a guy in Brendan Donovan. Now, I understand Brendan Donovan looks great to a lot of people on paper for what he's done in the Arizona Fall League, but if you don't have Nolan Gorman up here, then you better be spending money on offense still before this season begins, like a Kyle Schwarber or something like that because... I was expecting Nolan Gorman to be a big part of this offense all season long. And if you're going to play the first two or three months with this, that's a lot of last season, hoping that it continues what it did at the end of the year, which makes me a little nervous. Yeah. I, I'm not all that shocked that they're going to send him to AAA to begin the year. If that's what they ultimately decide to do, because we've been kind of hearing that rumbling, even back when Mike Schilt was here as the manager. Cause remember after the season ended, he said, well, we want him to get more time playing in the field that he wasn't sure that DH was the spot for him. And I think that may have actually been, at the time, after Mike Schilt got fired with that, oh, that's just a Mike Schilt thing. It might be actually be the kind of prognosis of the entire front office and Mike Schilt. Like that vocabulary? Prognosis? You were close. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Nice. But I'm with Alex. To me, this offense isn't going to be good enough, and you're going to need someone to be that bench bat that's left-handed, and that's where they'll have to dip into free agency if you're not going to start Gorman on this roster. And I thought Danny Mack made a great point today when we talked to him. Check it out on the podcast page uh, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers that – if it is a shortened spring training because of the CBA, it probably is better for him to go down to Memphis and get those reps rather than ha- having that full month-long period in spring training to be working with the big league staff. Go down in AAA, get your reps in. I hate to say this, but it's probably going to be true. Cardinals can manipulate the service time into their favor, if which is probably the thing. best thing. That's true. That's, that's the still other thing. thing. We just don't know how that's going to change, if at all, in this new CBA. But in terms of just his ability now, and I understand that the Cardinals send him to AAA. I think he's ready. I, I think he can be that DH that you could platoon with uh, Juan Yepes, right versus left. So I think he's ready. But if the Cardinals do ultimately say, you know what, he's going to AAA, they need to add a left-handed bat off the bench, in my opinion, free agency. If this is the way that they go, you would have Sosa, Newt Bar, Donovan, Yepes, and Kisner as your bench slash DH options. That that would be your bench going into next year. That's a whole lot of inexperience to rely on to help your offense. It's a ton of inexperience. Newt Bar, Donovan, Yepes are basically going to be the quote-unquote bats coming off of the bench, and then you've got Sosa as your utility infielder that you would use if, if needed. 
I think that it would change a little bit of my expectations early in the season, but I, maybe the thing that it does is it puts that much more pressure on Yepes to immediately be the guy that they think he can be. Which is never a it's never a area of success when you put that much pressure on a young player. Sometimes it is, though. Like Dylan Carlson, he had his struggles early on in the 2020 season, but by the end, he was batting cleanup for them, and he was one of their best players going into the postseason, and we all knew that they could count on him to be that so, I mean, maybe he's just ready and maybe he takes on that challenge and he's takes it by storm. That's possible, but it does add more pressure. Like you, instead of wanting Juan Yepes to be helpful for your lineup next year, you go in needing him to be a driving force of the offense because you just have fewer options as fallback pieces if he is not ready to go to be a sixth hitter probably in your lineup, something like that. That should be the expectation if this is what things look like going into next season. And this goes back to why we've all talked about it. I know Cardinals fans have been clamoring for it. That spot where Donovan is on your bench right now, I think that's the area that when things open back up, if they are if they want Gorman to start out down to the minors, I think that's the spot you're looking to upgrade. Whether it be Nelson Cruz or Kyle Schwarber or whoever that player is on a one-year or multi-year contract, that's really where it needs to come from is that spot other than Kisner, Sosa, Newbar, Yepes. Those four can be on your bench. That fifth spot, that's got to be the one that you're expecting immediately to be your DH. There's just no way I can get on board with having that much inexperience, that much of zero Major League Baseball experience, and say that these guys are going to be relied upon in big situations in a season. And maybe you try it and you realize that it doesn't work. And then you make a midseason acquisition. But I would hate to fall that far behind the eight ball that quick into a season where all I had to do was just drop $10 million, $15 million and bring in somebody who I know is going to be a factor. And then these younger guys can have that opportunity to to kind of wade into the water rather than just cannonball in. By the way, this is another reason why I'd be interested in trading Paul DeYoung for um, Kimbrell. for Craig Kimbrell. I think you add to your bullpen, you add another spot on your bench. Like, I'm not opposed to having Brendan Donovan on the bench early next season. I've got no issues with that. My problem is, if you go into the next season with this current bench, you have really no wiggle room until somebody gets hurt. You have a roster crunch is what you're looking at. If you're able to trade DeYoung for a bullpen arm, now you don't have to wait into the waters of free agency for that bullpen arm. And instead, you can use that money towards a legit DH where you're spending six, eight, ten million dollars for that guy. Maybe it's Jock Peterson. Maybe you go up into the Nelson Cruz type of a market, whatever it ends up being. And you've got that spot really all year long available for that guy. And you can still when Nolan Gorman's ready put him onto the roster either in replacement for Donovan or Yepes if either of those two falter. So you've got that spot available for you. If you add a veteran bat and you replace Donovan with him with this current bench, who are you sending down when you bring Gorman up? It's either Yepes or Newtbar. And now things get a little more dicey. You don't really have a fourth outfielder if you send Newtbar down other than Edmund, who you'd like to start at second base. So that's why I think as, as they're currently constructed, You've got a little bit of a crunch here. I think it does make sense to make a move like that. Yeah, I'm with you because I don't really mind the bench being inexperienced, but we're talking about adding a DH into that, and that's where that inexperience to me is going to be costly because if we're just talking about a bench bat, how often do they really impact a game? I get it. They could have the big pinch hit opportunity in the ninth inning, but not very often are you talking about the bench being the difference between a win or a loss. Now, a guy that's playing every day that's hitting sixth in the lineup, that's a guy you can talk about that is potentially affecting your 
win-loss statistic because he's hitting six. He's going to come up every day. He's going to get four at-bats, three to four at-bats. He's going to come up with runners in scoring positions at possibly big moments in the game. And if it's inexperienced there, and then that's where it really struggles, that's where the problem, to me, piles up. That's where I look to add that, whether you want to do Nelson Cruz, or even if it's just a Colin Moran, a guy that's a veteran that you could bring in that could DH just for a while until you see what the young guys have. I'm totally fine with that, because if it was just the bench where that inexperience is, the Braves proved you can add to a bench at a deadline, and I would have no concerns with them coming into the year with that inexperience. It's a really good point, especially when it comes to the pinch hitting opportunities. I want to look this up to see, in the American League last year, how many pinch hitting opportunities did teams have? Because I, I have to imagine it's it's pretty darn low compared to what you'd expect. So the Oakland A's last year led the American League with fewer than 150 at-bats for their pinch hitters on the entire season. Second was the Tampa Bay Rays. Again, the A's were at 150. They led the league. What do you guys think in terms of at-bats the Tampa Bay Rays had last year for their pinch-hitting opportunities on the entire season? 75. Ooh, I would take the under on 75. Uh, 150 was the lead in the American League. I would take this, the under. Uh, this I is would, second. This is the second-place okay, team in the in American League. Tampa Bay's league. a platoon's team. I, I'd go, go 120 then, change my answer. Uh, I think I'd still have, I guess around like 100. 95. Yeah. 95 at-bats for all of your pinch hitters on the entire season when you have the American League DH situation. And that's what the National League is very likely going to have next year. And we talk about, you know, Ali Marmol going to buy into more of the platoon system. Those are two heavy platoon teams, and you can see that they're not utilizing the bench that often to pinch hit in scenarios like that. Just as context, if you look over the National League last year, every single team had more than 220 at-bats for their pinch hitters. So it's like three times as many pinch hitting opportunities in the National League compared to the American League, which is what you'd expect, but that's basically telling you in the American League, one or two times a game, you're going to have a significant at-bats for a pinch hitter. Or excuse me, in the National League you are. In the American League, might be one time every other day. And that's that's the difference in the value of these guys that are coming off of the bench. So, yeah, your DH, it's it's going to be significant, and you've got to have somebody that you trust in that spot. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would almost be willing to bet that most of those pinch hit opportunities for all those teams came basically from August on. When it comes down to the crunch of the season, you're more likely to buy into those mixed numbers because in the postseason they do it a lot. When you get into that playoff race, I bet those teams did it even more than what what those numbers I didn't think too. about this, and I'd have to look it up in a different way, but I wonder how many of them were going up against National League teams, too, in the, in the interleague oh, play. You know, So there had to have been at least some of those that came in those games as well. So I bet you there were, on average, probably... probably about 90. Yeah, I bet you there was probably 75 um, at-bats for American League teams last year, maybe even fewer when you were playing against other teams that had the DH as well, playing by the American League rules. So it's, it's just not as important as it used to be for the Cardinals to have that significant bench, but it becomes that much more important that they have somebody that can fill that role of designated hitter. And if you're going into the season with Yepes, Newt Barr, and Donovan being counted upon for that role immediately... I've just got some questions about that. I'm with you on that, Alex. Coming up in 15 minutes, Mizzou, are they in for a rude awakening with the way that Georgia is performing right now? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Better to Forget It here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take that much, and stick it in your better. pipe, Ryan Cabrera. 
With Alex Ferrario, who you just heard, and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's get into some Better to Forget It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Better to Forget It. Let's start with this one, boys. Over Frank Sinatra. Unbelievable. Better to Forget It. Jordan Kyrou will finish the year averaging more than a point per game. Oh. Right now, by the way, for anybody that's at home listening, it's 36 points in 32 games thus far. Yeah, he's projected for 88 points this season, I think I read. God. Uh, I'm betting this one. Jordan Cairo has all of the makings. I would also add to this bet and say he's going to be an all-star this season. I think that's pretty clear cut, but yeah, I'm going to bet this one. I, I I think even in the cold streaks for Jordan Cairo, when he's not scoring goals, he's creating scoring opportunities, especially being on that power play unit. Uh, it's, it's too hard to deny what we're seeing with Jordan Cairo. By the way, a Facebook memory popped up today where yours truly said that uh, start believing in Jordan Cairo and purchasing stock in him. So, hmm. bet it, boys. What's you you weren't we, as high on him as Tanner was. Yeah, but what's cool. sad is we never made that an audiogram, and I can't ever find it again. So, you know, you know what's never funny? happened? Tanner said that happen. he thinks Kyra's going to be better than Tarasenko. He might not be this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true, too. It's real close. It <laughs> is really close still right be now. better. Tarasenko Why? has 34 points. Kyra has 36. And that is not a shot at Kyra. They're mm. the top two on the team and right by now. The they way, both no, been they're amazing. Pavel Buchnevich has overtaken Vladimir Tarasenko. Not anymore. Tarasenko's at 34. I thought Buchnevich uh, was 35. At 33. I could have sworn he was at 35. Nope. But close. I'm going to check my book. <laughs> I've got it right in front of better me. than what the official yeah, NHL I mean, does. I've got him right yeah. here for you. I fill it out. I don't think you're the official goals. Uh, Stat oh, keeper. 34, because they gave him an assist the Still other 33. night. 34, I'm looking at it. Sorry that your numbers are wrong, buddy. Tanner, better to forget it. Kyrou's a point per game player this year. Of course I'm betting this. I, I love the way Jordan Kyrou plays. I'm with Alex Stern, cold stretches. He's going to be enough to contribute on the power play, get rack up assists. Whoever he's on with a line he's had success with, so I'm going to go with, yes, bet it. Jordan Cairo averaged a point per game. You want to apologize? ESPN is wrong. You want to apologize? ESPN is wrong. Don't you ever question the stat book. I'm never going to ESPN ever again for my NHL stats. I apologize to Alex Ferrario. He was right. Not only was I wrong, I was loudly wrong. You know what? You know what? I want you to apologize to me like they apologized in Happy Gilmore. How they apologize and happy Gilmore, I don't remember. Say you're, you're dumb and I'm smart. smart. I'm dumb. Yep. You're good looking. Yep. I'm no. ugly. Yep. You're better at stats. And I'm not saying I don't that. understand I'm analytics. Not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna bet this as well. I do think he will finish the season at a point per game. Somebody on the text line asked, uh, how does Kairu rank right now when it comes to points per like minute played? I'll have to check that. I have to imagine he's right. I'm checking on ESPN. Yeah, I'm checking NHL. I, w- <laughs> I would have to imagine he's at or near the top of the list. Um, he's, I mean, he's been producing His a shooting percentages absurd, crazy too. high rate. Yeah. So I'll, I'll look into that. But he's he's been really good. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it, guys. Better to forget it. The Rams will get upset this weekend in the first round of the NFL playoffs. Tivo. <laughs> <sighs> I think I'm going to bet it. <laughs> Matthew Stafford, I said it yesterday. He turns the ball over like Oprah handing out cars. You can have a ball. You can have a ball. No, I'm sorry. I, I think they get upset this weekend, sadly. And it really stinks because you know who's a uh, fan of the Cardinals that I know? My freaking father. So uh, I'll bet this. I think they get upset this week. Yeah, I'm betting this as well. I, I think you come off of a loss to San Francisco. Takes a hit to the ego. 
I think you come into a game. Also, you, you know, you were playing at home where there were more fans on the other side than your it's, side. It's going to be like that again this week. Apparently they're pumping in sound there. So, yeah, I'm going to bet this one. I don't I don't see the Rams getting through the first round. And frankly, I don't know what the hell they do then because they got no more assets to trade. Yeah, I'm. I'm in agreement with both of you. I also think that the Rams are going to get beat this weekend, which means you should go ahead and put all of your money on, or excuse me, I'm going with the Cardinals this weekend to beat the Rams. So put all of your money on the Rams. Yeah, and go use DraftKings. How it works. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Better to forget it. The Blues will trade Vladimir Tarasenko in the calendar year 2022. I'll bet this one. I don't think he's on the... I, I can't even say this with a straight face anymore because we said this all off season yep. and he still was here, but it's hard for me to imagine that he is here after this season. If the request still stands and from all of our accounts, Jeremy Rutherford has done phenomenal reporting. He still wants to be traded. So I'm going to bet this one. I think in the off season, it's going to come down to Vladdy. You did your job. Hopefully you want us a Stanley cup. Let's part ways. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I would bet this, too, is that I, I think if you're the Blues, you look to move him because you're going to be tied against the cap already next year. You can possibly save, what's his hit, 7.5? Yeah. You can say 7.5 with a deal of him, and you rebuilt up his uh, stock. Yeah, his stock. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I think they'll look to move him in the offseason, so I'll bet that. One for one, Matthew God. Kachuk. I think that's the kind of move that you would make right before they have to give them the deal on the RFA they can make the move yeah. and let the Blues negotiate with them I think that's the kind of move that you would have to try to make if you're the Blues or get your chicken in the offseason but the problem is he has to accept that trade and he ain't accepting a trade to Arizona I'm gonna <laughs> bet it I am not gonna be nearly as firm on this as I was going into the season yeah after watching how how important he has been for the Blues It's just so hard for me to sit here and say, yeah, they're definitely going to trade him when he's been playing at an all-star level. If they can't get significant pieces in return, if you're Doug Armstrong, you've got to at least consider playing this thing out. And yeah, maybe he walks for nothing, but you're in the middle of your window. But how does he go about it if they told him, like, we'll move you in the offseason. We just need you to get through this year and build your stock back up. Does he buy in for another year? That's hard for me to believe. I think he would because he's a free agent at the end of the year. He could get paid by wherever he wants to go. He gets to determine. Yeah, but maybe you sacrificed this year because you knew you'd get traded in the offseason. I I think he's a pro. I I think. And and how much does he want to be traded if they don't win the Stanley Cup this year? I don't know. I mean, I, I thought he wanted to be traded now, and he's played at a level at which I'm not sure that we've seen him that's, in recent and, years. And maybe it's tinfoil Ferrario, but that's part of the reason why I still feel like it's going to happen because he's playing at this level because he knows that's the only way that he can get traded. Yeah, I think he's playing at this level because he's healthy. I, I think he would do Could this if he was elsewhere. I think he'd do it, obviously, when he's here. I don't think it matters what his situation is. If he's healthy, we've seen every time he's been at 100%, this is how he's performed. Yeah, it, Not... This many assists is surprising to me, but the goal production is exactly what we would have expected from him in his past. So I'm going to bet it. I do think he has traded in the calendar year 2022. I do not have the same urgency on that bet as I would have previously. Last one here. Guys, better to forget it. Jacob Chikrin will be a blue before the end of his current contract. Oh, man. I don't want to go Mr. 95% again, but guys, I am really feeling it. Like I'm getting the Nolan Arenado vibes. I am. I'm getting the tingle. I'm going to bet this one. 
this this move screams Doug Armstrong. A guy that they're saying, oh, he's going to cost too much. Teams are backing away from this one. Doug Armstrong doesn't back away. My only hesitancy is that one, it's Bill Armstrong. So he knows all the secrets and the plays of Doug. And two, they're in the central division. I think people continue to forget like Arizona's in the central now, but I'm still going to bet this one. I'm not to the 95% mark yet, but I'm going to bet it. He's going to be a blue before this contract is over. I think I'm going to bet it too, but I think it's going to be in the off season. And I would disagree with that if that's the case, because I am I think they need to do this move in season. I think they need to get the big fish at the trade deadline to make themselves legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. They're there now, but I mean one of the favorites to do it. And this is the year to go all in with the depth they have at forward. I just think with Bill Armstrong knowing the secrets of Army, I think there's going to be a little bit of hesitation from Bill to pull off a move. As you mentioned, the Central Division, I think there's going to be hesitation from Army to pull off the move. I think it's going to take a while for a deal to get done. I think he'll make a small move for a defenseman now, like a, uh, who's the one we were just talking about from Seattle? Giordano. Um, Giordano. And then when his contract comes up, we get to the offseason, he packages something together to get Chicker, and if it doesn't work out, that's how I see it going, so I'll bet it. I'm going to bet it as well. What the hell? Let's be optimistic You're trying about to the live exciting longer? idea of Jacob Chikrin on the back end for this Blues team. I'll go ahead and bet it. I, it just seems seems like it makes too much sense not to happen. And Alex, you were talking about Pavel Buchnevich before it happened. I was all in on Brandon Saad. The thing that I kind of like about Doug Armstrong is that he makes the moves that seem obvious to fans that a lot of general managers are like, eh, it's a little risky. Yeah, it's risky, but that's what it takes to be able to go out there and win a Stanley Cup. And Doug Armstrong understands that as well as anybody. He's seen his team go out there and he's seen how many moves it took for them to get there and finally win it. I think he's going to be willing to make that big move once again if that's what it takes. Did you hear that, Mo? We always say you need a shortstop. We're trying to help you win a World Series here. That's really what it is. You just described as Doug Armstrong. He's got big cojones. By the way, earlier, uh, somebody on the text line asked on a like per 60 minute basis, where does Jordan Cairo rank point? points per 60 minutes buddy it is exciting so among the players that have been on the ice for at least 300 minutes this year are we sure this is accurate i promise i've I've checked this three different times i can check my stat book if you need me to jordan kairu no jordan kairu is fifth in points per 60 minutes in the nhl right now behind kadri mcdavid mckinnon marchand end of list okay He is Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon. And better than Vladdy. And better than Vladdy. His points per 60 minutes is almost identical to Brad Marchand this year. That's a that's a pretty good group to be in. That is not bad. He is ahead of Leon Dreisaitl. Leon Dreisaitl is a joke. It's not bad. Wash With out. Alex Ferrario oh. and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we'll get back to the Blues. But next, Mizzou, are they, are they in a rude awakening? with what's happening right now with Georgia. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com or contact your local agent today.